If you've turned with me already, we're going to be in John 7, 37 and 38. Let's stand and read these two verses together. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for these two verses, Father. I just pray that as it's been enlightened and, enlightened and just um, so much that I've learned from it this past few weeks, just being ready and preparing to preach this sermon, Father, that this morning you would be with me, you would give me your mercy and grace to be able to present this in a way that would come across in an easy way for people to understand. And Father, I thank you for it. I thank you for what this text means, Father. And we just pray this morning is, uh, I am thankful. I am just so happy that you've placed us in part of a church that loves one another so dearly, God. We thank you for that. And we pray that that love we have for one another would show the community around us that we are your disciples. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you, God. Just, just open up our hearts and open up our minds to your word this morning. In your son's perfect and holy name, amen. John 7, 37 through 38. Uh, it's two verses. Uh, really, uh, I really should be going to verse 39, and I'm going to reference that. But 39, I'm going to pick up next week because it's just a big can of worms, it's worms itself. Uh, these two verses, um, like I said, it may only be two verses, but there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that we don't see. And that's, um, that's really what I, it's important for us to understand that sometimes when we come to God's Word, especially in the New Testament, when we get to certain places and certain scriptures, we cannot truly understand what it's saying unless we look to the Old Testament. That's why we don't disassociate with the Old Testament. That's why we don't let go of the Old Testament and focus only on the New Testament. That's why we aren't like some modern day preachers that say we should uh, just de-hitch from the Old Testament and, and ignore it altogether. We should understand the Old Testament. And the reason why it's so significant this morning in this verse is that John is writing to a group of people that are Jews. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that it's really this history of God working through a group of people called the Israelites that would then soon be called the Jews. And, and so G, uh, John is writing this letter to a group of people that are Jewish in descent, and they would have known exactly what was going on in this context. Now, when we read verse 37, it says, on the last day of the feast. We don't know what that means. All we know is that they're having this feast and it's the last day. And, and so it's important that we're going to look back at the Old Testament see what's really going on in these two verses. But to really introduce us to that, it's this idea that we've been looking at ever since John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, we see that Jesus says that all Scripture talks of Christ, that points to Jesus. And then in John 5, 46, he goes farther in depth, and he says that for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, that Moses also wrote of Christ. That not only does all Scripture point and speak of Christ, but also the, the letters and, and, and these books that Moses written points to Jesus as well. And then we got through John chapter 5 and we got to John chapter 6. In John 6, 1 through 15 and 24 through 71, we see this principle of how Moses spoke of Jesus. How Moses wrote of Jesus. And Jesus explains it by saying that I am the true manna from heaven. See, he feeds the 5,000 and then after feeding the 5,000 he walks on the water. After walking on the water he then teaches the 5,000 and he tells them that I am this true manna from heaven. That I have come from heaven onto earth just as the Father provided manna for the, our fathers in the wilderness. So Jesus, one way that Jesus fulfilled Moses' books was that he was the true manna. The next 
next one was that when Jesus walked on the water, he was showing that he has command and power over water just like God did. That when Moses walked onto the water and put his staff down and God split the Red Sea wide open and they walked across dry land, that, God, that Jesus being God has this same power. That he is the fulfillment of this power of God on earth. And then this morning we're going to look at the third thing that we specifically see that Jesus is saying that he is a fulfillment of the writings of Moses is that he is the rock of living water. Now just to give you a heads up of where we're going to go with that is that Jesus is the rock in which Moses struck and the water came out. That Jesus is the rock that in Deuteronomy when Moses was told, told to speak to the rock and he struck it instead that the water flowed out. We're going to see this morning that Jesus is this rock. That he is the rock of true living water. And so when we get into this, I really want to be explaining it the best I know how and the best way I can. But there's a lot going on in this this these two verses, and it begins by this, uh, this statement, like I said earlier, that if we were just reading it for face value, it wouldn't mean, mean much at all. When we were reading John chapter 7, 37, it begins by saying, on the last day of the feast, the great day. When we just read that, it doesn't make sense to us. When we just read that for face value, we really don't understand what's going on. But let's first look at this idea of this feast. Now, we've talked about this for a few weeks now, but this, what's going on is this Feast of Tabernacle, this Feast of Tents, the Feast of Booth, whatever different translation, different scriptures refer to it as something different. But really, these three things really declare what's going on. And it's these fe this Feast of Tents. This Feast of Tents, what it was doing is that the Israelites would come, the Jews would come back and they would celebrate this seven day feast in memory of what the Israelites did right before they went into the promised land. And what they did right before they went into the promised land was they had this ceremony which God told them to have where they went outside of the camp in which they were called to live and they built these tents and they lived in these tents for seven days. And in these seven days, what they were doing was they were looking back how God had provided in their 40 years in the wilderness and how God would provide in the future endeavors of going before them as they went into battle to take the promised land. That in the seven days they were looking back and looking forward and glorifying, praising God for what He has done and what He will do. And the Jews then, uh, through Scripture and through commands of God, they practiced this in memory of what God had done. And so this seven-day feast, it really all comes to this, uh, this climax at this last day. And this last day, what is so important and what's going on on this last day is this idea of the water right. Um, now, that's really important, this idea of water right. Now, I'm going to explain it to us. But this water right is what makes this last day so crucial that we understand what's going on in these two verses. That on this last day, what they would do is they would begin the day with this water right. And what they would do is that on the seventh day of the feast, they would have this golden pitcher, uh, not like you put Kool-Aid and sweet tea in, but this golden, nice pitcher. And they would fill it up with water from the pool of Shalom, and they would carry it in this procession led by the high priest to the temple. So they would go to this water. They would get this water into this golden pitcher and they would begin to, to march it back to the temple. And as they, this procession approached the water gate on the south side of the inner court, uh, three blasts from this trumpet trumpet would sound. As they got close to this, this, this gate, they would, they would sound the trumpet three times. And then in this moment, uh, they would sound this trumpet. And the pilgrims watching, um, the priests would 
proceed around the altar with the with this picture, the temple, and then the temple choir would begin to sing the Hallel. Now the Hallel, we don't know what that is, we're not Jewish. The Hallel is, they would literally sing Psalms 113 through 118, which is why we read 117 this morning, as we were getting into our time of worship, that we were reflecting on what God had done in 113 through 118. So they would begin to sing this, 113 through 118, and when the choir reached 118, the men in this procession the men the these men that were the pilgrims that were onward looking they would raise their right hand with willow and myrtle twigs and they would start shaking it with their right hand and then with their left hand they would raise um, a piece of citrus fruit and they would cry out give thanks to the lord give thanks to the lord give thanks to the lord that this was their time of worship this is how in this last and seventh day of this feast they would worship god through this what we are calling the water rite and then after this happened after they raised their right hand and start shaking this twig and they raised their left hand and they're holding up the citrus fruit rejoicing over the water that God provided in in the wilderness and in the time to come that would bring the growth of this fruit and this uh, that would provide for them during their time they were rejoicing and thinking back of what God provided and then the water was offered to God at the time of the morning sacrifice, along with the daily drink offering of wine. Now, so when they got ready to do their drink offering of wine, they poured out the water and they poured out the wine together. Now, they had their own individual silver bowls that they would place in, but they were poured out at the same time. And really what was going on in this ceremony was that the Feast of Tabernacles was related to the Jewish thoughts, both to the Lord's provision of the water in the desert, to the Lord's pouring out of the Spirit in the last days. And then pouring out at this Feast of Tabernacle refers to the symbolic, to the messianic age in which the streams from the sacred rock would flow over the whole earth. So what this was going on here is that these Jews, where they would get together and on the seventh day, they would pour out the water and they would pour out the wine. And it was all symbolic that there was going to be a Messiah that would come and then the, the, the rock of, of salvation and the rock of provision would flow over the entire earth. And so this is what's going on in verse 37. So Jesus is in verse 37. It says on this last and great day of the feast, this is exactly what's going on. That in the middle of this procession, we see in just a moment that Jesus is going to stand up as they're carrying this water in. He's going to stand up and he's going to yell out, if anyone is thirsty, let them drink. And why it's so important that we understand this is this isn't Jesus isn't just saying, I am a glass of water that you can drink and you don't have to thirst anymore. He is saying that I am the Messiah that Moses wrote about. I am the Messiah that was proclaimed when you started this in the seventh day feast that I am this Messiah to come. So we'll move on through the text we're going to come back to some more of that in just a moment. It says that then Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, let's just remember back through John chapter 7 that time in and time out, we see this picture of people wanting to arrest or kill Jesus. So much so that we're going to see next week that they're going to do it again after Jesus said that he, what he had to say in this moment. So this moment that's going on is that Jesus, they're seeking to arrest and kill him, but Jesus isn't cowarding away. He isn't running away from opposition. He's fulfilling what God had commanded in God's will in this circumstance, and that was for him to stand up in the middle of 
of this feast and proclaim that I am this Messiah. Now, this idea of him standing up and crying out, it's not a simple thing. It's not a, a small pr- uh, pronunciation. He's not just telling people around him that he, they could come and drink. He's standing up and he's yelling, If you are thirsty, come and drink. So Jesus is standing up in the middle of this feast. He is not hiding. He is not running away. He is putting it straight and forward to the people around him. And he stands up and he cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, as I said a minute ago, essentially what Jesus is saying is that I am this Messiah to come. I am this water that you are pouring out and and looking forward to the Messiah to come, that I am the one that you are doing this in reference to. But we have to look a little bit farther back to understand what is really going on. And then we're going to look at a verse in 1 Corinthians. But really to understand what's going on, let's look at Exodus 17, 3-7. Exodus 17, 3-7. And it says this, that but the people thirst... There uh, full water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking uh, with you the, some elders of the Israel, and take with you in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, And you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out, and it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and they called the name of the place Messiah uh, and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they rested, they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So these people are coming to Moses. They're they're questioning if God is even among them, if God's even there. And they come to Moses. They're they're complaining like they seem to be always doing through their time in the wilderness. And they come to Moses. They say, did you bring us out here to thirst? Uh, And you all know the story. We understand what's going on. And then God tells Moses, he says, go before the people and I am going to stand on the rock. And when I stand on the rock, you're going to take your staff and you're going to hit this rock and water's going to flow out. Now, I think we've heard this so many times now that it's just not as miraculous to us as it should be. That water came from this rock. That water was provided from a source that was not even supposed to provide the water. It's because the power of God was on display here. And so what we see, though, that is so important is that this was before the Israelites were really into their time in the wilderness. This was one of the first things that happens to them in this moment is that they're thirsting for the first time and then God... uh, tells Moses to strike the rock and water came out. And so this was one of the first things that happens in the life of the exodus of the people. And this water is struck in. And this rock was struck in and water comes out. Then in Numbers 20, if you want to look with me there, we're going to be in Numbers 20, 10 through 13. This is the second time water comes out. So then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. The water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Moab where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through, though, and through them he showed himself holy. 
What's going on here the second time is that God told Moses to go to this rock and to speak to the rock. Moses does not listen to God. He takes his staff. He beats it twice. And then water begins to come out again. And what's going on here is that the second time we see two pictures of water coming out of this same rock. But what we need to understand is that in Numbers chapter 20, this is towards the end of the time of the Israelites in the time of the wilderness. So we have a time at the beginning and a time at the end where this walk, this rock is producing water for the people of Israel. And so what I want us to understand this morning is that this rock that it's addressing and speaking of is Christ. It is Jesus. It is the Son of God. And how do I get this? Am I just looking for Jesus under every verse? Am I looking to Jesus under from every rock and every situation? No, we see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Paul is talking to the, the Corinthian church, and he says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all of them the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed, uh, that followed them. This idea that it followed them, that it was from the beginning and the end, that it was the one that provided for them, that it followed them. And then the verse continues to say, and the rock was Christ. So Moses, so Paul is saying here is that this rock, this provision for the Israelites in the Old Testament was Christ providing for his people. That this rock in which Moses struck was Christ. That he was the provision. He was the water. He is the one that provided for them in their time of need during this journey through the wilderness. That God provided for his people through Christ. And this picture is the same picture that we see that Christ is proclaiming to the people during this festival. He is standing up while they are carrying this water in and He says, I am that water. I am that sacrifice. I am that provider. I am that provision. And the people understood this at some point. We see that even after this, next week we're going to look at this, that they sought to kill Him because of these words. Because He was claiming to be the Messiah. That He was claiming to be the one from God that would provide salvation and provision for them. But He goes on and He says, The one who believes in Me. The one who believes in Me. Whoever believes in in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow the rivers of living water. That Christ is saying, I am this water. And for you to receive this water, for you to receive this salvation, this provision, all you have to do is believe in me. Now, we look back to, to John. We see that he says those that believe is believing because the God has called them. But the way that one comes to Christ and salvation is simple and is believing and trusting in Christ. And this is exactly what he's standing before him. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And if you want to quench your thirst, if you want this provision, then all you have to do is believe in me. And then in verse 39, I'm going to really address this next week. It says, And now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. The Spirit of God had not fallen on the people yet, because he had not yet died, rose again, and then ascended back into heaven. And so he's saying in verse 38 that this water that is going to quench your thirst, this thing that is going to draw up inside of you, out of the heart will flow this rivers of living water, is the Holy Spirit. That His salvation, His provision would cause the Holy Spirit to live among them. This helper, this provider would live in each and every one of them. This is why it's so important that when you look at Exodus 
chapter 17, verse 7, and they, the, the people, they're questioning. What, what are they questioning? They're questioning if the Lord is even among them. That God is providing through Christ Jesus the Holy Spirit in each and every individual because God would then be among each and every one of us. That we will no longer need one to provide a, 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 a sacrifice for us, but Christ providing that sacrifice provides the Holy Spirit to live in each and every one of us. Now, we're going to take this a step farther and we're going to continue through this thought of this water and this blood. Because as I said, that Jesus is this water that was struck in by uh, Moses in the wilderness that provided water through the rock. Jesus is this rock. He provides water to those, through provision for those. And this is why He stands up at the feast and says, I am this water that you're celebrating. But we also see that this same picture of this water rite where they would take the water and they would take the blood and they would pour it out before God, that this same water rite takes place another time in Scripture. And I want you to turn with me here if you would. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 31 through 37. John 19, 31 through 37. And it says this. Since it was the day of the preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. Well, when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. He was already dead, and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced the side with the spear, and at once came out blood and water. And he who saw it bore witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place in Scripture, might be fulfilled, that no one, none, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture that says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. That Christ, after his death, what's going on is after the, the, the crucifixion of Christ, the Jews come, they, 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 they talk with the Roman guard, they want to get the bodies off because it's the day before the Sabbath. So these guards come in, they begin to break the, the bones to, to make the people hurry up and die so they could take them off before the Sabbath day begins. And then they get to Jesus and they see that Jesus was already dead. And they don't break his bones if that's so significant because we see that not one of his bones will be broken. That for Christ to be this fulfillment, none of his bones had to be broken. He had to be the perfect Lamb of God, not only in, without sin, but also without any broken bones whatsoever. So in this moment, Christ is on the cross, dead on the cross, and the guard gets to him and they stab him in the side with the spear. And when they stab him in the side with the spear, the water and the blood come out. Now I'm going to come back to that. But what we see is that it says in the next verse, he who saw it bore witness that his testimony is true. What testimony is true? What is he getting at here? He's getting at that in Rome in John 7, 37 through 39, where he says that I am the water. And if you come to me, those who thirst and drink, you shall be saved. That if you come to me, that this is the testimony that is true, that he is the blood and the water of the sacrifice of God. That Jesus was the true water right. That he was the true one that would throw the blood and throw the water down. Because what we see also is that when Christ was standing, uh, sitting with his disciples at the last moment, he lifts up the wine. And what does he say about the wine? He says, this is my blood. That Christ in the moment of his death, what was spilled out for us was his blood and his water. 
and in His blood spilling out for us, we see that He is our salvation, that He is our Redeemer. He is the one that saves us from our sins and brings us back into relationship with the Father. But in His water, we find the provisions of God. Just like the Israelites would raise up with their right hand and begin to shake these twigs and raise up with their left hand this citrus fruit and they would cry out to God, great is our God and He is our provider. He is taking care of us. That in Christ we can do the same thing. That in Christ not only do we have salvation, but we have provision in this life. So when we look through all this in these two verses, I want to bring the application and I want it to be really plain and simple because there's a lot going on that we've already looked at. The first one is that we trust in the poured out blood of Christ for our salvation. That we trust in Christ and in Christ alone to be our salvation. And that He is the only thing that can bring hope to a lost and dying world. That Christ is the one that was spoken of in the writings of Moses of the Messiah that was to come. And because He is that Messiah, because He is God Himself, He is Emmanuel, God among us. And He he laid down His life on the cross and spilled out His blood for our namesake that we could be saved through Him that He is what we trust in for salvation. We have to trust in Him. We have to start here. That our only hope in this life is Christ and His redemption. There is no other hope outside of Christ. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other way of finding redemption other than Christ. So we must start there. But the second thing is that not only was His blood spilt out for us, but we saw in the Scripture at John 19 is that the water came rushing out as well. And when you connect that to what we're talking about this morning, that He is the water that was, He is the rock that provided water for the Israelites, that He is also the rock that will also provide for us. Not only salvation, but just the provisions that we need in this life. Now let's be clear. The provision in this life isn't this idea of um, prosperity gospel that if we pray hard enough or we seek God enough or we live the right life that we can receive these things from God. We are not provided for our merit just like we don't earn our salvation for our merit but we're provided because God takes care of His children. We see this principle in the Lord's Prayer today to give us our daily bread that we are to seek God's provision in this life. But also I think of Paul and I think of Philippians 4, 11 through 13 and Paul in his life, we know that he went through some difficult times. He went through some hard times and, and this is a moment where he reflects a little bit on them and he says, not that I am speaking on being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul's saying this, being imprisoned, being beaten, being stoned, being shipwrecked. Paul is saying that in no matter what situation I am, I am content. Why is he content? He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he goes on and he says one of the most famous verses that we see in the scripture today. And it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That Paul in this verse, what he's talking about is that when he is imprisoned, when he's chained, when he has no food, he has nothing at all, then he knows what it means to be abundant and to be content because he's content in Christ. That when he has it all, when he's traveling, when he's safe, when he's provided for, when he's eating, when he is going through anything difficult, he knows what it means to be content because his contentment and his strength comes from Christ and Christ alone. Paul is our example this morning, and I don't like using men as examples often, but this, this verse just bleeds out what's going on here. Is that Christ is not only our Savior, but He's our provider. 
And so that in this life, that when we go through the moments of difficulty, when we go through hard times, when we have moments of joy and pleasure, that we, we reflect on these good and bad moments. Why? Because God is working all things out for those who love Him. Why? For His glory. So when we go, good, go, go through the good or go through the bad, the purpose for it all is to bring God glory and to bring Him honor and to bring Him praise. And in that, we can be content because Christ is our provider just like He was the rock that was struck in, that provided for the Israelites in the beginning and after their journey that followed them through the wilderness. So this morning, as we've looked at all this text, and we see that these two verses are full of with a lot of information, but it's pretty simple is that on the last day of the feast that Christ stood up during this procession of bringing the water in and cries out, I am this water. That Christ is our provider. He is the rock that was struck in the old and He is the rock that was struck in the new. Why? To bring salvation to those that would believe and in doing that He would pour His Spirit out upon the world just as they looked back at what would happen and what God had did, and they looked forward in this moment for the Messiah to come. Christ is proclaiming the same thing He is proclaiming to us this morning, that He is the Messiah that we are to trust in our salvation, and but we're also to trust for our provision in. Because no matter what we go through in this life, that we are to be content because we are strengthened by Christ and through the Spirit that He has provided for us. So this morning, as we come to an end of the service, um, I just really want to reflect on this one last time. And what we see is that Christ is the living water that provides salvation through His blood and our every need in this water. Thus, let our lives be transformed today by the faith and the trust in Christ, not only in death, but also in life. That we live in such a way that would glorify God each and every day by being content and finding joy in Him.